Ghost. Rakoto Sokila Namanga. Le Baroko to Sekele de Bria. Rakotolia. Mambrina Nongo. Nengele Nemba. Nengele de Baroko to Sekelida Babara Katune Kelia Nanga. Engebo Jokala de Baba. Father, we give you praise. We bless the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the privilege of accessing the mysteries of your word by revelation. The eyes of each one's understanding in this service is enlightened. Veils full of clarity comes. We decree that your people are built up, equipped, and edified. Your word comes with clarity and at the end of this service, we're all the better for it. I give you praise for answered prayer. In Jesus' precious name and every believer sees a powerful amen. Lift your right hands to heaven. Let's release our faith together. As you say these words, I'm born of God. I am born of the world. The word of God is my nature. I do not struggle to do the word. I do the word naturally. Therefore today, I will understand the word of his grace. I will be built up. By the end of this service, I will never be the same. Never ever be the same again. In Jesus name. And every believer says a powerful amen. We want to welcome every one of you connected to this service. Where we have Kingdom Life Network. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. And all of you that are connected by way of XLFM radio in Aquaibom State. We are so glad to have all the radio audience connected to the service. And everybody connected in their house centers all over the state and all our campuses. It's a joy to have everybody hooked up to the word of God. Get ready. The word is going to build you up and you will never be the same at the end of this service. Can I have a powerful amen? So make sure you grab your biro, your notebook and your Bible as we adventure through the exciting study of God's word. Can we celebrate the word of God in the building with a shout and let us get excited. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated with your sweet smart self. Let's get into the word of God. Glory to God. Those of you on Facebook and YouTube. Help us share the videos, encourage more people, drag more people onto the page, get more people to hook up this morning. It's going to be glorious as we still continue to examine the misunderstood God. The misunderstood God, we're in part four, finding God in the midst of evil. Finding God in the midst of evil. In the previous service, we had quite an exciting study, those of you that followed that teaching. If you are not able to follow it, I will encourage you to either get the videos, get the message or something. But make sure you find it because it was quite some foundation and exciting time of study. Let's examine quickly Jesus' teaching from the beginning. Jesus' teaching from the beginning. Now, when Jesus responded to the accusing Pharisees about marriage, he points their attention away from marriage to the very reason for which it was risen. For the very reason for which it was written. In other words, marriage in Genesis chapter 2 was a parable. Marriage in Genesis chapter 2 was a parable. Look at Matthew chapter 19 verse number 3. Matthew chapter 19 verse number 3 to verse 5. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Next verse. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read Anaginosko? Have you not read, that is, have you not carefully read, that he which met them at the beginning, made them male and female? Next verse. 
And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. And they twain shall be one flesh. So Jesus quoted from the book of Genesis and particularly the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Observe Jesus' words. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. This statement is a summary, not a direct quote from Genesis. It's a summary, all right? Jesus was explaining the very reason for the parable in Genesis chapter 2. Please pay attention. That what God has joined together is not a particular man and woman, but marriage. The word marriage was used three times in the epistles. From the Greek word, quamos, quamos. Q-A-M-O-S, a noun. The verb is quamio, Q-A-M-E-O, for those of you making notes. The, the word is quamos, Q-A-M-O-S, a noun. And the verb of the word quamos is Q-A-M-E-O. In the Greek, it means to be with another, marriage. To be with another or to be joined to another. The word Quamos was used in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13 verse number 4. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But homongers and adulterers God will judge. You will see the use of that word again in Revelation chapter 19 verse 7. Revelation chapter 19 verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife had made herself ready. Marriage. Revelation chapter 19 verse 9. Revelation chapter 19 verse 9. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. The quotation then, or the question then is, what marriage is being referred to in this context? Brother Paul will explain what marriage he was talking about in his letter to Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 to 25. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 to 25. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the savior of the body. Next verse. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so are the wives, or so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Next verse. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Particular attention should be paid to Paul's use of physical marriage as a mirror. The physical marriage was designed to be a mirror to Christ and the church. Because if you look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32, it will come handy now. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. So in other words, Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 refers to the inseparable marriage of Christ and the church. The inseparable marriage of Christ and the church. Natural marriage is only used as a mirror of that. 
That is what is available in Genesis. So this explains Jesus' use of the term, from the beginning it was not so. From the beginning it was not so. God's marriage is an inseparable union. But look at Matthew 19 verse 7. Pay attention. Matthew 19 verse 7. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Next verse. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Meaning that whatever Moses commanded them to do, apart from what was from the beginning, was not in the beginning. Moses allowed them because of the hardness of their hearts. Sclerocardia. Sclerocardia is the Greek. Because of the hardness of their hearts. A word used for unbelief. For this reason, what they did not believe is in God's faithfulness. So since they didn't believe in God's faithfulness, Moses permitted them to put away their wives, which is not a reflection of what was in the beginning, which is God's union with the church, which is inseparable. For them to believe, there must have been a message preached, which they did not believe. So Moses in his writings presents the gospel through the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If Moses wrote to them to put away their wives, it was because of unbelief. Unbelief in the gospel. Moses therefore must have preached the gospel to them. Pay attention to this statement. So shall a man leave his father and cleave to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. Is a promise worth believing. That statement is the promise of God worth believing. And also the statement, male and female created he them. This is a promise about Christ because in Christ there is male and female. Or male and female will be found in Christ. Therefore, good scriptural reading, if you are reading the scriptures very well, good scriptural reading as has been seen with Jesus is a scriptural reading that focuses on the promise. Salvation, life, light, grace. I go over the list again. Good scriptural reading will be seen as Jesus to focus on the promise, salvation, life, light, grace, which is found in Genesis. Which is found in Genesis. And is not lost in the stories of the characters therein. Is found in Genesis. And is not lost in the stories of the characters therein. Notice that one, one and a half chapters of Genesis account of creation. Therefore, in that creation, he says a term like seventh day. And use the phrase... God rested on the seventh day. Look at chapter 2 of Genesis verse 3. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. Not Exodus. 
Genesis chapter 2 verse number 3. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Remember the scriptures were not written in chapters and verses. I've told you that before. So a good practice in scriptural reading is to read the scriptures in paragraphs. You read the scriptures in paragraphs. This implies bringing related statements or statements in context together as a paragraph. Bearing in mind Genesis 2.4 appears to be the beginning of another paragraph. So Genesis 2.3 is the end of chapter 1 in paragraphs. Look at that Genesis again, chapter 2, verse 3. Then you see how 4 begins. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Then look at verse 4 now. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth. That's another paragraph altogether. The beginning of a new paragraph. So that's why you don't read the Bible in chapters and verses. You read the Bible for better comprehension and for effective understanding in paragraphs. Please stay with me. Now, so Genesis 2.4 seems to begin another paragraph explaining again the creation account. It summarizes the creation using in the day. So there are two terms used to teach creation. Seven day and the day. Seventh day and the day. By now, it should be clear that the day in scripture as taught by Moses does not necessarily mean 24 hours. This is one of Moses' use of figures of speech in communicating his writings. Particularly Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Those three chapters of Genesis, Moses taught those describing God's rest as man's rest. God's rest as man's rest. For example, Isaiah 66 verse 1. See the way the prophet Isaiah will make reference to that scripture. Isaiah 66 verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Then see that scripture again. That Genesis made reference to by, by Stephen in Acts 7.47. Acts 7.47. But Solomon built him a house. Next verse. How be it, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. 49. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Remember, Solomon built a house for God. Remember, Moses built a house for God. Remember, uh, Zerubbabel was also building a house for God. Yet, while all those houses were standing, God was still asking, where is my house? Because the Most High does not dwell in physical buildings. He was making, he was pointing to the fact that the house that God will live in cannot be built by human hands. God himself will build that house. God himself will build a house where God himself will live in. 
And I have news for you. When Jesus was about to die, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they were thinking it was the temple of Solomon which was built for 46 years. And they were angry. But the Bible says, when Jesus died and rose, then the disciples understood that the house he was talking about was not a physical structure. What he was saying is, if you destroy my body in three days, I will raise it up. So God's house, therefore, is the born again man. God's house is the believer in Jesus. God's dwelling place, God's residence, God's place of rest is in man. This are other terms Moses used in Genesis chapter 1 to 3, which may not be literal, but we are used to communicate the message of the gospel. Please take note if you are making note, this is a good one to write down. He was, Moses used, lit, you know, figures of speech, not literals, to communicate the message of the gospel. For example, he used light and darkness. Light and darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Light there was darkness and God said, let there be light. So he uses light and darkness. Number two, he uses waters in Genesis 1-2. Waters, waters to communicate the gospel. Number three, he uses the seed, seed, seed in Genesis 1-11-12. Seed in Genesis 1-11-12. Then Genesis 3-15, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. So, he is using seed to communicate the message of the gospel. Then he uses three, three, three. In Genesis 1, 11 to 12, he uses three to communicate the message of the gospel in figurative speech. Three. And you will see it again in Genesis 2, 16 to 17. Genesis 2, 16 to 17. The tree of life. The tree of life. Then you will see it again in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. All those were Moses' communication of the gospel using figures of speech. He uses fruit, fruit to communicate the gospel. Genesis 1, 11 to 12, fruit. And then Genesis 1, 29, he uses fruit. Number 6, he uses garden, garden to communicate the gospel. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 9 and 10. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And then Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. He used garden as a metaphor to communicate the message of the gospel. Then he uses rivers, rivers as a metaphor. In Genesis 2.10 and Genesis 2.13 to 14. Genesis 2.10 and Genesis 2.13 to 14. Then he uses serpent to communicate the gospel. Serpent. In Genesis 3. Verse 1 to 2. Genesis 3, verse 1 to 2, and verse 14. Genesis 3, verse 1 to 2, and Genesis 3, 14. Then he uses rest to communicate the gospel. Rest. There remained a rest, and God rested to communicate the gospel. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. So Jesus was always correcting the impressions of the Pharisees in the way he taught them. He corrected. He says, you have read that it had been said by them of old. An eye for eye or toot for toot. But I say, because Jesus came to redefine the character of God. Jesus is God redefining his character. Jesus is God explaining in exact 
terms, explaining in precise terms the uncontradictory character of God. Jesus came to, you know, give us a comprehensive understanding of God. First John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know him. That we may know him. That's why Jesus came. That we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and the eternal life. Why will he do that? Because in John, John chapter 1 verse 18. In John chapter 1 verse 18. He says, no man had seen God at any time. The only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father. He had declared him. So the manifestation of Jesus in the incarnation was to answer all the questions surrounding the personality of God. That when Jesus showed up in the incarnation, the incarnation, the birth of Christ in the manger, was a redefining moment concerning the character of God, which was misrepresented by people in the Old Testament who never saw God. So for the first time, God manifested or showed up in humanity in the person of Jesus to redefine all the, all the misconceptions concerning the personality of God. So he says, no one has seen God at any time until the incarnation. The word bosom, the only begotten which is in the bosom of the father. The word bosom is translated from the Greek word called pos. C-K- K-O-L-P-O-S called pose. It's used for something close to the heart. Like the breast pocket, it refers to something you carry in your heart. Something, you know, something that is intimate or something that is close to you called pose, the bosom. You will see the use of that word bosom in John 13, 23. John 13, 23. Look at it. John 13, 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. The word bosom there shows intimacy. It shows intimacy. So Jesus is the intimate one with the Father. Or you see the Father through Jesus. Or you see Jesus through the Father. Remember I told you because God created all things including man. Man therefore cannot discover God. Man cannot discover God because God created him. Man can only know God by God revealing himself to man. Man can only know God by God revealing himself to man. That is why in the Old Testament, in the midst of idol worship, worshiping a God they didn't know, idolatry, worshiping from mountain to mountain, trying to look for a God that they could not factor. And in the midst of idol worship, God walks to Abraham and says to Abraham, I will bless you. I will bless those that bless you. In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Why? Because man cannot discover God. So God will have to reveal himself to man. That's why Galatians, brother Paul writing says, God preached the gospel before to Abraham saying, 
The preaching of the gospel was a revelation of God to man. Not man discovering God, but God revealing himself to man. And that is why the accurate revelation of God in humanity is in Christ. The accurate revelation of God in humanity is in Christ. So Jesus is God revealed. So Jesus in John 1 18 is seen together with God. Remember John chapter 14 verse 1. No one comes to the Father but by me. Believe in God, believe also in me. So faith in Christ is faith in God. Faith in Christ is faith in God. Please stay with me. In the book of John chapter 1 verse 18 again, there is a word declared him. The only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father, he had declared him. So Jesus alone declares the father. The word declared is translated from the Greek word ezegomai. Ezegomai. It implies to unfold. To unfold something. Observe. He didn't say he will declare him. He said he has declared. He has declared him. John means here that Jesus has declared our thinking or has cleared our view or has cleared our perspective about God. Jesus has cleared our thought pattern concerning God. Or Jesus has cleared our questions on the personality, character, and on the nature of God. Jesus came to clarify. He has declared. That is, he has made clear-cut distinction that cannot be faulted. Jesus has made clear-cut distinction that cannot be faulted. He has put God in right light. He has put God in right light. In Matthew 17 verse 5, the scripture calls him, My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear ye him. Means hear him concerning me. Hear Jesus concerning God. Our only access to God is Jesus. Not Moses. Not Elijah. Jesus is our only access to God. He's our exclusive access to God. Not Moses. Not Elijah. So by using the word ezogomai, which is declare, John implies that Jesus was possessor of the explanation of God. Jesus was the possessor of the explanation of God. The word ezogomai was referenced in Luke 24, 35. Luke 24, verse 35. Luke 24, 35. And they told what things were done in the way. And how he was known of them in breaking of bread. It is used for a personal witness. A personal witness. Something you have experienced firsthand. It implies to bring him out. Or to narrate an experience. To bring him out. Or to narrate an experience. The word ezogomai. It was explained also in Acts chapter 10 verse 8. Acts Chapter 10, verse number 8. Acts of the Apostles, 10, 8. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa, personal witness. Look at Acts 15, 12 also for that word, declared. Acts 15, verse 12. 
Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Next verse. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Next verse. Simeon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. Look at Acts 21, 19 again for the application of the word Ezogomai. And when he had saluted them, he declared Ezogomai particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. Wherever the word is used, it means an experience is being explained. That means we can only experience God in Christ. We can only experience God in Christ. When Jesus came to earth, God as man, it was for man to experience him. It was for man to experience him. Vitally so. So the incarnation itself explains God. The incarnation explains God. Watch this. The incarnation itself is a correction. Because many people think that God is a terrorist. You know, he does thunder and lightning and he does all kinds of wicked acts. But then suddenly God comes to the earth. <laughs> you will think he will fall from the sky and just land and say, I have arrived. But look at how he comes. The womb of a woman out in a manger. That is corrective. The incarnation in itself is corrective of the Old Testament on the character of God. Comes as a baby in a manger. Grows up. Goes through life. He is, he is abused, insulted. He does nothing. That on its own is a statement on the character of God. The incarnation of Christ. Because the incarnation is God in the physical, redefining and correcting, answering questions on the character of God. Are you still in the building? So the incarnation is an explanation. He took the form of a man and then became a man. Showed up that God is our father. Jesus had that way with which he taught as one who had authority. That's how he taught. As one who had authority. And not as the scribes. Look at Matthew 7, 28 to 29. Matthew 7, 28 to 29. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Next verse. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They were astonished as his doctrine. In other words, Jesus presented how the Old Testament should be read. He will tell them, have you not read Anaginosko? Have you not read carefully? That is, have you not read closely? What he's telling them is, in your reading, something is missing out. And that is the explanation there. Therefore, the Old Testament was quoted out of context. So it had to be explained by Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he had 
declared him, explained him. He had expressed him as a first-hand experience. He has unveiled or revealed the only begotten son alone has the comprehensive exclusive right to unveil the father. That term, sin at any time, no one has seen God, sin at any time, refers to the incarnation. So based on what Jesus taught in the four gospels, explaining his sufferings and the glory that shall follow from the law of Moses and the prophets, John therefore called Jesus the word of God. In John chapter 1 verse 3, John chapter 1 verse number 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1 16. John chapter 1 verse 16. And of his fullness, when we saw Jesus, the apostles were saying as first hand, when we saw him, we saw his fullness. And of his fullness have all we received grace and for grace. Observe a very important aspect of Jesus' teaching ministry in the four gospels. Mark chapter 1 verse 27. Please pay attention. Mark chapter 1 verse 27. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits and they do obey him. Notice the Pharisees referred to what Jesus taught as a new doctrine. If your Bible is mine, I will underline that. As a new doctrine. What new doctrine? It had not been recorded in the Old Testament books that anyone cast out evil spirits. Nobody. No prophet. None of them was able to cast out an evil spirit. And Jesus shows him and he begins to cast out evil spirits. Why was this? They had little or no knowledge about evil spirits. In the Old Testament, all the prophets had little or no knowledge about evil spirits. And it showed in the way they spoke. Please follow this now. It showed in the way the Old Testament people spoke. Jesus cast out evil spirits in his practice. Something was going on. He was distinguishing what God did from what God did not do. Listen. When Jesus cast out evil spirits, he was distinguishing. It was intentional. He was distinguishing what God did from what God did not do. Remember, when he cast out evil spirits, they called it a new doctrine. Meaning, nobody has done this before now. And the reason is this. The Old Testament people didn't know about evil spirits or only knew little. So Jesus shows up now. He begins to cast out evil spirits. But in that casting out, he was making a distinguishing between what God does and what God does not do. Very instructive. He was distinguishing between what God does and what God does not do. And that was never done in the Old Testament. So Jesus casting out demons was an explanation in itself. It was a lesson. Look at Matthew 12, 22 to 28. Stay with me. Matthew 12, 22 to 28. There was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. Did you see that? Possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him. 
in so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Next verse. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Are you following? Next verse. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Because he knows that their children do not cast them out. Therefore, they shall be your judges. Next verse. But if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. The kingdom of God is come unto you. Please follow this. Matthew 12, 35 to 37. Matthew 12, 35 to 37. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. And by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now the word Beelzebub was called like a goddess of the flies. And he said, can Satan cast out Satan? That's the explanation. If God was behind dumbness, deafness, and blindness, how will God cast out himself? Just like Satan cannot cast out Satan. So what Jesus was doing is he was explaining to them that the person behind blindness and dumbness and disease was not God. Otherwise, if it was God, he, Jesus, who is God in human flesh, will not cast out himself. Are we in the building here? He was using that to show them that the devil has been the one behind sickness, disease, evil things. Jesus used casting out demons to communicate. That's why the Pharisees cried out and said, wow, this is a new doctrine. We have never seen this before. Because the devil is being exposed in the light of the revelation of Christ. Am I communicating at all? Now, so Jesus is using that to explain the character of God. So, look at Mark 1.39. Mark 1.39. Mark chapter 1 verse 39. And he preached in their synagogue throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Somebody shall cast out devils. Right? Now, he cast out devils because casting out of demons itself is an explanation of the Old Testament. That is why John will say, this is the explanation of God. He calls Jesus the word, the logos, the logic, the thinking pattern, the thought, the idea, the mindset, the reason behind. He called Jesus that in a summary. That Jesus is the logic of God. He's the thinking pattern. Jesus is the reason behind the operations of God. John could only summarize Jesus like that. So casting out demons in itself 
was Jesus doing an explanation of God's character. Look at Matthew 12, 39. Matthew 12, 39. Glory to God. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Next verse. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That is a sign that will be given to them. Jonas. Look at Matthew 12 verse 4. Matthew 12 verse 4. How he entered into the house of God and did eat the shoe bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but only for the priests. The term greater than Jonah's refers to one who explains Jonah. Jesus was still explaining Jonah to them. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. Look at Luke 10, 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. Demons featured prominently in the four gospels, the synoptics, and a few in the epistles. The word demons is the word daimonion, daimonion in the Greek. You will see that in First Timothy 4, 1, First Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. The word devils here refers to demons. So Jesus, by casting out demons, he destroyed the works of the devil. Observe, that's what John wrote in 1 John 3, 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8. A lot of scriptures, but good for your health. He that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. The devil sinned from when? The beginning, Genesis. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy there is the Greek word low. Low. L-U-O. Low. Which implies to untie or to separate. Destroy. Untie or to separate. In context, John was teaching love and hatred. He said the devil sins from the beginning. What he implied was that the love of God demonstrated in Jesus' action. Expose the devil. The love of God demonstrated in Jesus' action of death, burial, and resurrection exposed the devil. In essence, this was separating what God did or what God does from what the devil does. Works of the devil. The Old Testament, for example, you will almost have no information about Satan. Yet Jesus said, I saw the devil fall down like lightning from heaven. So we've been trying to find God in the midst of evil. And I'm going to get into some exciting explanations now. Let's go over into something today. Like I told you, we're going to go over some things. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Are you still in the building? 
there is the term we've been dealing with, which is wrath of God. The wrath of God. Because sometimes when somebody is going through trying times, they will say maybe he has done something wrong. God is punishing him. Or things are not working out. Or, you know, um, strange things, sickness, disease. Some people even say the coronavirus was God punishing the world. And some people, because of that, have developed a hatred for a God that does not exist. Because in their minds, they feel that if God is really God and is a good person, why will he allow all these evil things that happen in the world? And so people have those kind of questions and, and they're bothered about that. Even some Christians who go to churches have issues with that. In their heart, there is an unsettlement about God's character. Even though they have a form of religiosity that makes them act like Christians, but in their heart, in the inner recess of their hearts, they are questioning the character of God. And I've told you the reason is because they have not submitted themselves to sound Bible teaching. So let's observe the way the wrath of God is used in the following scriptures. Exodus 32.11. Stay with me. Exodus 32.11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Deuteronomy 9, 7. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7. Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until you came unto this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Please be taking note of the word wrath and the things that they explained came as a result of that. Ezra chapter 8 verse 22. Ezra chapter 8 verse 22. Ezra. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way because we have spoken unto the king saying the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So they give an impression that if you forsake God, his anger will be against you and he will look for a way to deal with you. So all of these are impressions you will find in the Old Testament concerning God. Ezra chapter 10 verse 14. Ezra chapter 10 verse 14. Let now our rulers of all the congregations stand. And let all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come out at appointed times. And with them the elders of every city. And the judges thereof. Until the fierce wrath of our God for this matter be turned from us. So the impression they give you is that because people were marrying many wives. God became angry with the land. And so God now allowed disasters to come upon the land. And now they are asking the people that married many wives to come out. So that the anger of God will be turned away from them. All of these are assumptions and impressions. Again, don't forget, we have explained in the course of this service that there was a hidden personality in the Old Testament who was behind sickness, disease, and disasters. Hiding that they didn't know. That upon the arrival of Jesus in the incarnation, exposed him as the devil. Remember that. Jesus exposed the person as the devil. Now look at Psalms 78, 31. Psalms chapter 78, verse 31. The wrath of God came upon them. 
and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. The wrath of God. <clears throat> the word wrath was also used in the New Testament. Look at the way it will be used in the New Testament. John 3.36 John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Romans 1.18 Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God. Look at Romans 2.5 Romans chapter 2 verse 5 But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Righteous judgment of God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things. cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Colossians 3.6. Colossians 3.6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Revelation 14.10 Revelation chapter 14 verse 10 The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Revelation 14.19 Revelation 14.19 And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. The word wrath should be understood in the context by which it was explained. Remember I have told you there is no omnibus application for words of scripture. Words of scripture must be looked you know, within the context of their usage. It was used for man. The word wrath was used for man. The word wrath, James 1.19. James 1.19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4.26, used for man. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. It is also used for God. John 3, 36. Where we read the wrath of God. Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God. And Ephesians 5, 6. The wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Then pay, pay attention. It's also used for what is to come. A future event. Romans 5, 9. Romans chapter 5 verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Colossians 3, 6. Colossians 3, 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children 
of disobedience. First Thessalonians 1.10 for future. First Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus which delivered us from the rot to come. He delivered us from the rot to come. Now let's look at the scripture that explains wrath in relation to God. John 3.36 John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. The word wrath wrath was translated from the Greek word orge, O-R-G-E. It means punishment or vengeance. It has a root word, orago, O-R-A-G-O. It means settled indignation. Settled indignation. So wrath can mean to react to someone's action by vengeance and punishment. To react to someone's actions by vengeance and punishment. In the book of Genesis, judging wrath as a reaction of God to sin becomes difficult. Why? Because Moses wrote in the first chapter of Genesis and he repeats the word good seven times in the first chapter. Look at Genesis 1-4. Let's read a few. Genesis chapter 1 verse 4. And God saw the light that it was good. God saw the light that it was good. Genesis 1.10. Genesis 1.10. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called these seas. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.12. Genesis 1.12. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind. And the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.18. Genesis 1.18. And to rule over the day and over the night. And to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.21. Genesis 1, 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, 25. Genesis 1, 25. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.31 Genesis 1.31 And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Observe verse 31 of Genesis 1 summarizes everything God created as very good. Notice in Genesis 1, there was nothing evil spoken of. This fact reveals that God is absolutely good. That the only thing you find in God is goodness. The word good was translated from the Hebrew word tob. It implies something perfect without evil 
or something perfect without anything to harm. In Genesis chapter 2, finding wrath as a reaction of God becomes difficult too. So, no wrath in chapter 1, no wrath in chapter 2. Observe. Observe Moses' account. Genesis 2.16. Follow what I'm teaching. Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Next verse. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He didn't say, I will kill you. And he didn't say, I will destroy you. He is informing man as a loving father of the consequence of an action that has death in it. It's an information. This is before man sin. Remember, God's knowledge of sin does not validate his involvement in it. That he knows ahead of time does not mean he's behind it. Alright? So, God's knowledge of sin does not validate his involvement in it. Recall again that death is the absence of life. God is life. What God made available for man in Genesis 1 as we saw was life. Genesis 2, it was called the tree of life. So Genesis 2.16 is a statement of God's love. A loving father. Reinforming man of God's non-involvement in sin. Non-involvement in sin. In case man does not heed his instruction. And the death there, you shall surely die, will mean that God's life will be absent. The day you eat it, you will experience the absence of God's life. Are we following here? God's life will be absent. It's called death. So it suffices, therefore, to say that sin and death cannot be traced Outside of God's will. Which is life and light. Which means what defines sin is God. What defines sin? Because it will not be seen until God says and you disobey. It is your disobedience to what God says that defines sin. So if God didn't say it, you will not disobey and there will be no sin. So Are you following what I'm saying? God is not behind sin. But there will be no sin if God never said. There will be no sin if God never said. It will soon be clear why they call it the wrath of God. Even though God is not involved in it. Why they call it the wrath of God. Even though God is not involved in it. Because in Genesis 2.16 where we read, it's not a statement or a threat to kill. But a statement outlining the consequence of man's actions. Either life, if he chooses the tree of life, or death, if he rejects the tree of life. Therefore, when man made a choice to sin, God stated 
the consequence of his disobedience. In Genesis 3, verse 14. Put it up for me. Genesis 3, verse number 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art observed, caused. He didn't say, you are caused. You are caused. That is the moment you did it, you brought a cause on yourself. Caused. C-U-R-S-E-D. Caused. Take note of the terms. Thou art caused. And caused is the ground. The word caused was translated from the Hebrew word ara. A-R-A-R. Ara. Just like darkness being the absence of life and death, I mean of light, and death being the absence of life, cause refers to inability. Inability. So if the good is caused for man's sake, it means that man's sin affected it. So in Genesis 3, God was not reacting to man's sin, but God was pronouncing the consequence of man's sin. Now observe Genesis chapter 4 becomes the first mention of the word wrath in the book of Genesis. Genesis 4, 2 to 5. Pay attention. Genesis 4, 2 to 5. And she again bore his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Next verse. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. That's the first time you will see the word wroth in Genesis. And it was applied to a man. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. His countenance fell. The word wroth was translated from the Hebrew word chara. Chara. C-H-A-R-A-H. Chara is used 91 times in the Hebrew. It's a strong word which implies to be angry, to burn, to be displeased, or to wax hot. Now, it was explained subsequent to this occurrence of Cain. You will see it right down for personal study. We won't read it, but you will find it when you read the scriptures. Genesis 18.30 Genesis 30 verse 2, Genesis 3, 35, 36, Exodus 4, 14, Exodus 22, 24, Exodus 32, 10, Numbers 12, 9, Numbers 32, 13, I go over it again, Genesis 18, 30, Genesis 32, Genesis 3, 35, 36. Exodus 4, 14. Exodus 22, 24. Exodus 32, 10. Numbers 12, 9. Numbers 32, 13. Judges 2, 14. 1 Samuel 18, 8. 1 Samuel 12, 5. Explained as something that is boiling hot. Notice God's role in that scenario of Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, 6 to 8. Genesis 4, 6 to 8. 
And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Next verse. If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Next verse. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. Who killed Abel? Cain. Man killed man. The first death you will see recorded in the Bible was man killed man. God told Cain, don't do it. Cain insisted. Look at verse 9, Genesis 4. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Next verse. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cried unto me from the ground. 11. And now art thou caused. Did you see? The cause there is not cause. It's caused. That is past. That is when you acted from your action, there was a consequence that brought a cause on you. Put it up again. Thou art caused from the earth which had opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from that. So God was only informing Cain of the obvious. Cain manifested wrath. His wrath does not truncate God's goodness and mercy. So look at God's goodness over Cain here. Genesis 4.13. Pay attention. God's role. Genesis 4.13. And Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Look at verse 14. Behold, thou hast driven me out of this day from the face of the earth, and from the face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any man finding him should kill him. The narrative implied that God's mercy on Cain was very obvious. There was nothing spoken of as God's wrath in the case of Cain. Because in what we see in the entire scenario is the goodness and the mercy of God. Is it obvious? The goodness and the mercy of God. However, what is seen is man's wrath in that Cain was wrath and killed his brother. So the first example of death in the physical body, murder and wrath, is found in man. Jesus made an illusion to this in John 8, 44. John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil and the loss of your father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. The word devil was translated from the Greek word diabolos. It refers to deceiver. Jesus made an illusion to the beginning. The word murderer was translated from the Greek word anthropo anthropoctonos in the Greek. A-N-T-H-R-O-P-O-K T-O-N-O-S Anthropoctonus means manslayer. This means that in Genesis 4 
The devil was behind the scene. Consequently, he was also behind the scene in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve ate of the tree. But, you know, they use the word serpent. The serpent was more subtle because he was hidden. They didn't know the devil, if you remember what I told you. Paul applied these terms, you know, to describe the devil in 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Put it up quickly. 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve. See that? As the serpent. Through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The context of Paul's explanation was false doctrine. Those who twist the truth of God's word. In the book of Revelation, the serpent is also described. Revelation 12, 9. Revelation 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So the devil is described in subtlety. Alright? And he was the murderer from the beginning. So Satan was behind Cain killing Abel. Satan was behind Cain killing Abel. This explains why when death and wrath there were mentioned in the Old Testament scripture, they were not mentioned without God. This is because God defines what sin, death, and darkness is. Remember, God is light. So the absence of God, darkness. God is life. So the absence of God, death. Are we following? Are we following? So you cannot talk about death until God is absent. You cannot talk about life. I mean, you cannot talk about darkness until God who is light is absent. So that's why when something happened, they just say it was God, whether it was destructive or darkness or death. So when man sins and encounters the consequence of that sin, they called it the wrath of God. You know why they call it the wrath of God? It means the absence of God. Or the inactivity of God is what brought death or darkness or destruction. Because God's goodness and mercy or saving power is absent in that scene. Remember that the word sin is translated from the Hebrew word as chatter. Chatter implies something is missing. Observe further that it was a refusal to heed and receive God's promise. So, sin implies a lack or that something is missing, which is God. So, anywhere there is sin, God is missing. Remember, I gave you a word in the last service, which is a figure of speech in the writing of scriptures, and that figure of speech is metonym. Metonymai. 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 It's spelled as M-E-T-O-N-Y-M-Y. Metonymai. is a figure of speech that was used in the writing of scripture. Now, that figure of speech is where a part represents a whole 
or a whole represents a part. God's inaction in sin, unbelief, and its consequences is what they called the wrath of God. The wrath of God is therefore a figure of speech called a metonymi. Let's examine the plagues that happened in Egypt. All of those plagues, the show of power and all of that. <clears throat> Exodus 12.23. Pay attention. Exodus 12.23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and at the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer. If your Bible was mine, I will circle that word. And the Lord will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. The destroyer. Exodus 6.1 Exodus 6.1 Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shall thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let go. And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. Look at Exodus 8, 1 to 3. Exodus 8, 1 to 3. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Verse 2. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. Verse 3. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thy house and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and up, up, upon thy people, and into thy ovens, and into thy kneading throes. Now, let's examine of all the plagues, the major one. In Exodus 11, 1 to 6, let's examine that major one. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh, and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely trust you out hence altogether. Verse 2. Speak now in the ears of the people. And let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. Verse 3. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. In the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Next verse. And Moses said, thus saith the Lord. About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt. Verse 5. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne. Even unto the firstborn of the maidservants that is behind the meal. And all the firstborn of beasts. Next verse. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. Such as there was none like it. Nor shall none, none shall be like it anymore. The plague like others was ascribed to God. But in Exodus 12 where we read, the instruction issued to Israel concerning the plagues can be seen obviously. Alright? We read it. And it says the instruction to Israel here is that they should kill a lamb. Put the blood on their doorpost to prevent from the harm that was going to happen. In the rendering of the event there, observe that the protection from evil was attributed to God. However, the evil itself was also attributed to God. Did you observe that? It is God that was saying, I am protecting you people. Then they now also say, 
that it is God that is killing. Did you observe? Right? Because in that Exodus chapter 12, you will see that. Just like we saw in Genesis, there is a personality behind the scene. The personality who is called the destroyer. Look at Exodus 12, 23. The personality is called the destroyer. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. This cannot be God because God created things in Genesis and he did not destroy anything. We established in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 that God only created good and not evil. In the Septuagint Greek, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the word used there was oletrio. That was explained in the epistles. Now, let's observe the explanation. 1 Corinthians 10.10 in the epistles. 1 Corinthians 10.10 Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. Are you observing? And were destroyed of the destroyer. So question. Who did the destruction in Egypt? Talk to me citizen. Can I hear you louder? The destroyer. Is that God? Of course it can never be God. So there was a destroyer hiding. And when he does havoc. The Old Testament people who didn't know God. Will attribute it to God. Look at Hebrews 11.28. Hebrews 11.28 Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Lest he that destroyed the firstborn. The Greek word olatrio implies to spoil to slay or destroy. So observe the writer of the book of Hebrews did not say God was killing the firstborn. Neither did Paul say, but there was a destroyer. There was a destroyer. So, the destroyer destroyed because they did not believe God's word. Is that true? Hello? Did the destroyer destroy where there was blood? He only destroyed where there was no blood. So where there was blood, did they believe God? Where there was no blood, did they believe God? So the destroyer only functioned where there was an unbelief of God's word. Is that true? So that means God was not present in the destruction. Because God is only present in faith. God is not present in unbelief. So in unbelief, the destroyer functioned. But in faith, the destroyer could not function. Because God functions within the parameters of faith. Is it clear here? So, in the destruction of the firstborns of Egypt, the devil only destroyed because the people we are in unbelief. The people we are functioning in a lack of faith. Now, so, he now says, neither, look at it in 1 Corinthians 10, 3 to 4. Pay attention. 1 Corinthians 10, 3 to 4. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, Next verse. And did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock 
was Christ. Next verse. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were what? Overthrown. Look at the next verse. Verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lose after evil things as they lost it. Next verse. Neither be idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Next verse. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed of serpents. The word tempt there. Tempt was translated from the Greek word ekperazo. E-K-P-E-I-R-A-Z-O. Ekperazo. It implies to ask for someone to ask for what someone cannot do. To ask for what someone cannot do or to pressure beyond the person's power. The same word in Matthew 4, 7. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The same word in Luke 4, 12. It means to go beyond the boundaries of a person. Jesus was clear that God cannot be tempted with evil. How will Paul say they should not tempt Christ? He was referring to them rejecting the message. Because if you reject the message, you are trying to make Christ go beyond the boundary of his word to function outside of his limits. That is temptation. And he said, neither let us tempt Christ by subscribing to unbelief. Unbelief to the gospel. Tempting Christ means they went away from God's ability. Their persistence and inability to enter into his rest because of their unbelief was the temptation. They went out of his power. They went out of where he could save them. And that is what is called the wrath of God. When people go out of God's saving power, when people go out of God's security boundary, then God cannot help them. So this destroyer is not God, but certainly the devil hid behind sin and unbelief and did havoc. And because the people didn't know God, they ascribed it to God. Can somebody shout hallelujah? But we're fully persuaded. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, nor a shadow of turning. God is absolutely good, totally good, always good consistently good, consistently, constantly good, and good all the times. There is no bad in God. He has been good, he is good, he will always be good. And anytime there is evil, the only part God plays is to deliver. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. God's power only saves. Can somebody shout hallelujah? God's power only saves. Stand on your feet. That's all I've got for you in this service. God's power only saves. All the events in the Old Testament, when well explained, you will always see that the only part that God plays in any situation is salvation. He told them, put the blood mark on your door so that when the destroyer comes, he will see the blood and pass over. 
He can't be the one putting the blood mark and the one destroying. God is absolutely good, has only one character, one personality, and has always been consistent in his goodness towards man. Can I have a powerful amen? Lift your right hands to heaven. Father, thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice. In this building, on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, radio, television, house centers, campuses. I decree and I declare that the revelation of Jesus grows big in your heart until nothing else matters. You are strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man. I decree that revelation knowledge, the word of his grace, builds you up continually. You are grounded and rooted in the love of God. I decree that the rest of this week will be days of victory for you. Your steps are ordered. Your going out is blessed. Enjoy the goodness of God in the land of the living. We rebuke sickness and disease. And I decree for every one of you, you are delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. Great grace is upon you. In Jesus' precious name. And every believer shouts that amen on a note of finality. Glory to God. Hey, listen to me, everybody. Just before we sign off for those of you on radio, the 30 days of glory begins from the 5th of July to the 2nd of August. Soteria, season 7. And I'm excited, I tell you. I'm excited. Are we excited in the building? I'm excited. From the 5th of July to the 12th of, I mean, 2nd of August. 30 days of glory. It will be live on radio. Live on Radio Comfort FM every evening, 6 to 8 p.m. And then it will also be live on Inspiration FM, 8 to 9 p.m. every day, throughout 30 days of glory. It's going to be very explosive. Then we have the Power Bible School running throughout July online. And we've said, those of you who want to be part of the online Bible School, you need to shoot a mail to Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com. The whole of this week we are praying every day throughout the week, both in the house centers, campuses, online. So if you are watching me on television or, or you are listening on radio or on Facebook, please shoot a mail to me, Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com, if you don't have a group of prayer you belong to, so we can assign a group to you that is close to where you are. The whole week is prayer for 30 days of glory. I told you last Sunday that today I'm going to be taking a special offering for the 30 days of glory to help us pay all the bills for TV, radio, and all the adverts and everything that has to do with 30 days of glory. All the logistic, you know, diesel and everything. Today we're taking a special offering. Listen to me. When we give to advance the kingdom of God, we never lose our result, rewards. It says, do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. I'd like you to package a sacrificial giving today so we can give sacrificially towards the 30 days of glory. We have a huge budget that runs into millions. We want you to generously, liberally give towards the conference today. Those of you that are giving online, the banking details are scrolling. I'd like you to just do what the Holy Ghost is laying in your heart. Those of you that want to give on radio, our numbers will be called. You can call or you can stop by 98 Waniba Road, Uyo, Akwaibom State. You can stop by the office and just give to us our 30 Days of Glory conference. And then in the campuses and in the house centers, I want us to take up that special offering for 30 Days of Glory. I trust God that everybody will give generously and sacrificially. Let's get it done.
And then also, I want to take up your general offerings and take off your kingdom investments all at once, one offering. So everybody, grab your offerings, grab your kingdom investments, and grab your special givings towards the 30 days of glory. And i like to pray for everybody as we take up the offerings this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But just before we do that, if you're watching on TV and you want to give, but the banking details are not direct, directed to your area, if you shoot me a mail right now, we will send you accounts that are relevant to your location. Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com. If you shoot a mail asking for banking details, we will send it to you. Thank you for responding. Thank you for giving in honor of Christ. Thank you for your partnership and your commitment to this ministry. And thank you for your faith in the things we do that continues to color the world with the fragrance of Jesus. Lift up those offerings. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everybody connected to this service. Thank you for everyone giving specifically and generously and sacrificially towards the 30 days of glory. And thank you for everyone giving an offering today, giving their investments and giving intentionally to enable us to do all the things that we do for the kingdom all over the world. We receive the offerings and we receive the sacrifices and we thank you, Jesus, that you receive them from us with joy today, that our offerings are a sweet smell before you and that through our offerings, fruits of righteousness and thanksgiving abound to you. Now I pray for everyone giving today, your needs are met according to his riches in glory. In the name of Jesus, I declare that you receive ideas, concepts, insights, opportunities. I decree that the favor of God is at work on your behalf. Your steps are ordered and directed. In the name of Jesus. And I command the devil, take your hands off. And I declare that you are intentional. Your businesses and jobs. In the name of Jesus, you have all that you require to excel and to make a difference. Great grace is upon you. Your needs are met. Your desires are granted. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to make an impact during the 30 days of glory all over the world through our givings. Thank you for receiving our offerings today. And thank you for the blessing upon your people. In Jesus' precious name. And every believer says that amen on a note of finality. Glory to God. Hey guys, online, it's a joy to bring you the word every opportunity I have. And I'm so excited because July is every day, man. We'll be here every day teaching the word of God. I will teach for one hour, 15 minutes or so. Then we will move to the next set and I will sit down. We will answer questions and open phone lines and interact for 30 days. It will be teaching and interaction. Teaching and interaction for 30 days. My goodness, so much information, so much knowledge, and so much impartation will be happening from this house. It will be 6 to 8 p.m. GMT plus 1, Monday to Saturday and Sundays. It will be very brutal as we examine our salvation in Christ Jesus. We love you guys. House centers, we live in the hands of our house pastors. Campuses, we live in the hands of our campus coordinators. And the online family, we love you guys. Looking forward to connect with you again. But I'll be live here on Wednesday at 5 p.m. GMT plus 1. And on Thursday at 5 p.m. GNT plus 1. And next Sunday, which will be the last Sunday before the 30 days of glory begins the upper Sunday. We love you guys. Make sure you are the right places to pray within the course of the week. Enjoy the rest of your day and enjoy Christ. Let's celebrate viewers all over the world with a shout and a celebration. Glory to God. Woo! Amen! 
Glory! It looks like some of you are shouting, you left it at home. 